Hello, and welcome back to the Sparks in Action podcast. This is Donna, your host, and I'm very happy today because I have part two with Dr. Liz Levine. Liz and I spoke in May of 2021. We were still pretty thick into the pandemic. And Dr. Liz Levine, we're going to call her Liz, but she is a medical doctor. She is a hospitalist at the uh, Northern Duchess Medical Center in Rhinebeck, New York. And if you have not listened to part one, scroll back and listen to part one so that you get a little bit more context about some of the things we talked about. Essentially, what is so impressive about Liz is that she is so deeply committed to bringing the full spectrum of humanity to her work, both in her role as a physician with her patients and in her role as a team leader with her fellow physicians and nurses and medical professionals. So in part one of this conversation, we talked in some great detail about precisely some of the things that Liz does to bring that into the medical setting. And we're gonna just go a little follow up with that. And I have a couple of new directions, uh, questions I wanna ask her. So welcome, Liz. Thank you. Hi, Donna and everybody. <laughs> it's great to be here. Uh, it's so good to have you. Thanks. So, um, so first of all, Liz, I'd like you to give uh, listeners sort of an update, if you don't mind, about sort of where things have come since when we last spoke, March 2021, and where we are now in January 2023 in terms of um, how COVID and its after effects are affecting you and your staff at the hospital. So um, I guess over the past year or two, almost year and a half, I would say, um, some of the biggest changes are that people who have COVID and coming into the hospital aren't as sick as they used to be. But we still have significant numbers of patients who have COVID. But fortunately, we're not seeing the tragic illness and um, outcomes that we had in the beginning. So that is um, very helpful. Um, also, staffing has been an issue everywhere um, in medicine. Uh, over the past year and a half, I think a lot of people have left um, and people aren't starting to go into medicine anymore. Uh, I'm talking about nurses, techs, um, who really make up most of the care in the hospital. Um, so that's been really difficult because Everywhere, staffing is an issue. Um, and essentially, it feels like we're, we're doing the best we can and um, hard to see some people leaving, uh, but the team still working really well together and, again, trying to do our best. Yeah, and I've, I've wondered, <laughs> would you say that, I mean, there's the obvious that people left the field healthcare and medicine during COVID because of the stress levels. 
And um, would you, is there, is there anything, is there another reason you think they've been leaving and so many places are understaffed? There was, um, everyone has their own kind of experience around the pandemic. There are people who felt that um, they didn't want to be told to be vaccinated. Um, you know, so that was, that was part of it for some people. Um, and uh, I think that not only was it difficult to see people being as sick as they were, it was, the system has been broken. And I think that um, with COVID, it just made everybody's work so much harder and more difficult to do. And people just couldn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, just uh, had to get out. Yeah. You know, that that question, you know, because we've, many of us hear the term, use the term, medical professionals, non-medical professionals, the system is broken. So I'm going to ask you a question, which I know could be an hour discussion, but, you know, just if you could pare down, because you are on the, you know, you're literally on the front lines of medicine. What, in your opinion, are a few things that could possibly be done to not throw away what we have and start afresh, but to kind of within the system that already exists to perhaps make it a little more efficient. And if it's an unfair question, because you haven't had time to think about that, you know, we can let it go for now. We'll have a part three. But, <laughs> but if there were just like in your work day, I'm guessing you have thoughts about, oh, wow, we could do this or we could do that. And um, I know it's very complex because we're talking insurance, we're talking privatization of hospitals. So, um, but any thoughts from Dr. Liz Levine? <laughs> yes, uh, I think the biggest problem is poor access to care in the community. Mm. I think that if I had to name one thing that is really in the way of any kind of good flow in this uh, system of ours, it's that. So there are patients who come to the emergency room who are sent there by their primaries because primary care is too booked, they can't see them. Uh, there are people without primary care doctors. It takes six to eight months to establish care in our community with a primary care doctor. Um, not to mention the insurance obstacles as well, that everybody doesn't take every insurance. So um, I think people are putting their care off. That was definitely a problem during uh, the initial COVID time um, because nobody was going out. But um, now it's, it's, it's different. It's more that I think people want to get the help, but they, they just can't get it. They can't go to their doctor. They can't get in. They can't be told like how to navigate the system. So they show up in the ER and, and they're complicated. People come in with complicated things. Um, a lot of people, we're going back to people using the ER for primary care too. And it's, it's overloading our emergency rooms. <clears throat> we are, our emergency room is very busy. Um, 
And I think a lot of that could be handled in the community. And <clears throat> there's that is to me the biggest problem. Do you think part of <clears throat> that, you know, because right, I can corroborate, I can say as a person who, you know, I know now that I have to call to get my annual, I have to make that appointment a year in advance. I mean, no joke, right? So so part of this thing, how much of that is just the shortage? Like part of my calculus, I wonder like, okay, so if we just have more physicians and more healthcare professionals, that's gonna balance out you know, the need um, the, and the needs met. So how much of it is that? But then the other question, is it's so often to, to make appointments, you have to go through, or they prefer you go through patient portals, you're put on hold for a long time. It can take a very long time to speak with a human in just you know scheduling, let alone anything else. So, right, so when you're saying access, you're not talking about even physical proximity, you're talking about, right? Is that if I understand you correctly, it's like, getting the damn appointment, getting contact with a healthcare professional. Yeah, there are walls up everywhere. Yeah. Even to get your medicine. Like yeah. I ordered my medications about a week ago and for a week I did not go into the drive-through at CVS because it was all backed up. And mm -hmm. every time I went into the store, there's a line. I mean, you can't even get your medications. Mm -hmm. So um, absolutely. and. The, yeah, the way this system is organized with the portal, with probably not enough staff answering the phones, um, bigger systems. So you, you don't call your Kingston office, you're calling the headquarters of a bigger system. Um, so you lose that personal touch um, and when the phone is answered, they don't really, they don't feel your need. You know, it's very impersonal. It's very yeah. impersonal. I mean, we go through it also, you know, right. I'm not treated any differently and it's uh, completely frustrating. And I could just see people just saying, I'm, I'm just gonna go to the emergency room or I'm gonna go to urgent care. And then they lose that amazing relationship one can have with a doctor who you trust and they take you through your healthcare issues. And, um, you know, that's, that's being lost and that's a shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And right. I, I, and I, I, the, again, how so many of these medical groups, I know the medical group that I go to, was called one thing and now it's called something else called some huge business, I won't mention them, brought them up over and it's even more complicated and more impersonal. I'm, I'm fortunate that I really adore my internist. I've been with her for a very, very long time, but, um, uh, and have great trust in her. But, you know, if I didn't have that established way before this medical practice became part of this, you know, huge business, it would be problematic. And that takes me to the next direction um, I want to go into, which is you're talking about the relationship between patient and healthcare professional. And we had a great conversation towards the end of our last um, 
in the last podcast, and I love that you were using the word attuning, that you, in the way you work with both patients and your staff, are really about attuning to the patient's needs, but also having your staff, the doctors and nurses and techs and everybody you work with, attuning to themselves so that they can show up with more um, open-heartedness towards themselves as well as the patients and the situation at hand. And I thought I would like to like just revisit that a little bit because I think that is a pivotal point that you make. And that's why I so wanted you on this podcast because who better to talk about this than somebody who's a dedicated physician, um, a yoga instructor, somebody who has a meditation, a relationship with herself in, in sort of meditative practices and insight practices. And you have done that beautiful training with Joan Halifax, the grace training that you spoke so clearly about last time we talked. So this is my long way <laughs> of asking you this question. I wonder, Liz, what, how, how the medical world can, how do I say this? Like it's easy, we're pointing out all the problems with medicine and they're real and they're true and a lot needs fixing. And at the same time, there are just amazing human beings that show up and do their job and are doing their best to meet their patients' needs with skill, knowledge, and heart. And so part of this equation is also encouraging patients, the general public, to also open up their eyes and hearts towards their healthcare professions. And that's something that we talked in the last podcast that I felt very deeply, particularly when I went through cancer treatment and with my teams at Sloan Kettering, it was genuine gratitude. It wasn't BS, like really amazed by them and grateful. And so what can we do or are there things we can do to help patients see their healthcare providers humanity and dedication, not being Pollyanna about it. Yeah, it's a great question. I love that. And um, I think that patients can do what we do. And this is what I, when I do something with the staff for our well-being, I'm always talking about taking a wider view, stepping back that I am not this system. So when I walk into a room and a patient is upset because they couldn't see their doctor and now they're in the hospital and you know there's, there's definitely a lot of anger and resentment that we're being um, faced with from patients toward, toward us and the system. So just like I tell my staff, we need to step back and take a wider view and attune to their frustration, what they're going through. My hope is that patients can do the same, take a wider view and attune to me, mm -hmm. tune to yourself and then attune to me and, and feel that I am here to serve you, to help. 
and um, to heal. Uh, and yeah, I don't always like to use heal because we can't always heal, but um, to serve. So let's say to serve. Um, so that would be my hope that uh, we can all do this kind of practice. And sometimes I will be in a room with somebody who's, who can't do that, you know, is, and there's friction. It causes friction. And as much as I'm there to help somebody, I'm coming up against another wall. And sometimes I'll try to take them to see a wider view. You know, I'm here to help you. What can I, how can I help to make this better? And um, so I think that would be one of the best solutions for patients is to step back a bit and, and, um, and also to uh, attune to, we're, we're frustrated too, you know, attune to our, uh, we didn't create this um, system, you know, this, we're very frustrated as well, but we're still here and still our goal is to, to serve and to treat you. And um, so I think uh, that would be, my advice. Mm. I had this image as you were speaking, Liz, of someone lying in the hospital bed and perhaps, you know, in a state of extreme frustration. But then as you're standing next to their bed in presence, you know, my, my wish is that they're looking in your eyes <laughs> and seeing, oh, wow, this is a, this person's showing up and doing the best she can. And I, that might sound fluffy, but it, it's so not, it's actually, it's, it's really, um, it's a place of enormous power and liberation. And I was thinking as you were speaking that it's so interesting, the gratitude, the science of gratitude, we used to think that, oh, well, you know, the power of gratitude is when we, you know, think about or write down things we're grateful for, but actually we're gratified where gratitude has evidence-based impact on the human body and in the, in the brain and in, you know, all the neurochemicals and all, all the beauty, beautiful systems is when we receive sincere gratitude. That's where science measures big impact. Um, and so, yes. So, um, I guess I'm saying <laughs> to anybody listening too that perhaps a really good exercise is next time you're in, don't pretend you're not frustrated. It's not about faking it or pretending, but just look that healthcare provider in the eye and and just like see the humanity behind them. And if, you know, if we just respond to each other and even, and again, I don't say this in a fake way, but if you can feel in your heart a sense of gratitude for this person who is dressing your bandage, getting you ready for this, you know, x-ray, uh, the physician who's, you know, you know, who's figuring out with you what's going on. And um, if you can just feel uh, the gratitude for every small act and then express it to them, 
you're like injecting the room with enormous healing, <laughs> right? It's like an injection of for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. And the staff needs it now. Um, yeah. It's, it's tough on nursing and the techs. It's really tough. And, and we all need to practice not personalizing it. So we, we do know that it's, it's not us, mm -hmm. um, but it's, um, yeah, we need to step back and, and remember that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's something about um, that recognition that we're all vulnerable, that here we are lying in a hospital bed and we are vulnerable. You know, we're in a little hospital gown. We're, I mean, everything about being a patient is vulnerable. And at the same time, that medical professional who walks in the room in a different way is extremely vulnerable. They're running mm -hmm. around seeing patients. They are, maybe their heart is breaking. Maybe they're also running on extreme exhaustion. We don't know. And so the more we can just recognize our humanity and our vulnerability, um, that, can, that can really change the dynamic. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, I think just thinking of us as people too, and you're so right. We come in, you know, we've, we've been divorced. We've been cheated on. We, you know, like, and we show up to work and, and, um, you know, and I'm not saying we're, uh, we should be treated like angels because it's not like that. It's just that um, we, we have our bruises and scars and we're triggered like patients are. I mean, it's, it's like a two-way street. Right. And the most beautiful moments I've had with patients is when I can acknowledge that. I may not acknowledge it to the patient, but the older I get, the more I, I might acknowledge mm. one thing or another. Like you remind me of my mother or, you know, like that. Um, but I think even inside, if I could um, acknowledge the impact the patient is having on me and maybe the impact I have on the patient and, and we have that connection, um, there's nothing better than that. Mm. So good. So clearly you, you've had those moments with patients. Where you're... Yeah, those are the best. Yeah, yeah. But this is one of the problems now is uh, with the trouble with staffing and just the the need for like, let's say nursing to do so many different tasks, they're missing out on those moments because there's just no time. Mm -hmm. There isn't time. So it's, it's very sad. It's sad, but you know, things change. It goes in waves and hopefully um, by doing things like Schwartz rounds where we, we talk about the emotional impact that being in healthcare has on us um, and we have support teams and we do all sorts of, we're gonna have a grief group, support group for staff. I think the more we do that kind of stuff, the more that will be empowered to make change. Yeah, That's my hope. Yeah, well, that's a good hope. And that's, I mean, it's so operational. It's so easy to, uh, you know, it's actionable. These are things you're talking about that are so doable. Um, you know, they're not pie in the sky. They're, 
you're already doing that in your setting. And so to me, it seems so likely, you know, uh, that it will have impact. And I applaud you for it and support you in it. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I, I wanted to just pivot into a question that I think about a lot because I, you know, there's part of me that always just loves to thread science into any conversation. And I'm just wondering, as a physician, are there in the last, let's say, five to 10 years, let's go even five years, are there any technical advances that you are loving and digging because it's they're like precise and they're making your job more precise and easier and are there any that you're finding problematic so um in my time at northern duchess which is now nine years we went from paper charting to um the emr electronic medical record and um so the biggest benefit I see is that many of our patients have had visits to the hospital before our hospital or maybe VAS or another hospital in our system. So one of the best um, outcomes of that is that I can look at the patient's past experience and see that they were in the hospital this time, these were the complications, these are the tests that they had, I, maybe I don't have to repeat some things. I could see which doctors they saw. And um, if you are in our system, I could see the outpatient world as well. So mm -hmm. I could see when somebody sees a primary care doctor and what's been going on. So that's, that's great. We could see the medications. Um, we could see the medications that were received from the pharmacy. So there's that's very beneficial. Um, where that piece is not beneficial is that if you go to a different system, I can't see any of that. So, mm. um, you know, if you're at Kingston Hospital, Northern Duchess doesn't have access to those records. So okay. this um, um, medical record that was supposed to be, um, I'm blanking on the word, it's like a, this medical record is not something that is easily accessible. It depends whether you're in the right system or not. So that's that's a downside. There's, you know, it's like everything. Everything has good and bad about it. So I was going to say this is bad, but it's also very good. So patient access to their own medical records, very important. I think it's it is important, but the downside is that there were laws passed where patients can access results prior to the doc ever or the provider ever speaking to the patient about Ooh. the results. So this Ooh. this uh, can create animosity and you know it's it's and also just not getting the knowledge the right way. You know you could see that let's say a lab is abnormal, but without the knowledge about that lab you know, your mind can take you to terrible places that you don't necessarily need to go to. So I find that um, to be a, a big downside. And there are times patients will use that in a threatening kind of way. And, and that's, that's hard. It's hard. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you correctly, so a patient having access to labs or pathology, but having no context 
in which mm-hmm. to understand that information. It may be the most benign information. It may be almost meaningless, a total non-issue, or right. or it could be, but could be significant. That's tricky. I can imagine that that's really tricky. Yeah, um, a pathology yeah. report. I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking, I am married to a pathologist. <laughs> yes. And I, uh, from what I understand, it's so scientific detail that you have to really understand the language of pathology to understand context. It's not something a layperson's going to get. I didn't know that patients can see a pathology report. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it. with that. I know with labs, it definitely is true. It used to be that the provider had to sign off and then yeah. it would populate into the portal. Yeah. Um, so I think that it is possible wow. that you can see it before. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But, you know, that speaks to the, I mean, in the ideal world, you have a procedure done, you have a biopsy, you have a set up appointment with the provider to discuss the biopsy in the right amount of time, you have enough time to speak about it and you, you, you hold each other there, right? That is an ideal situation. So that that's hard to happen these days, mm-hmm. you know? Like to put somebody in an appointment for a, a normal test was probably a waste of their time, but it isn't a waste of the patient time. You know, if, if they know they're going to come to an appointment, no matter what the test result is for a discussion, that's, uh-huh. that's important. Yeah. We're, lo- we're losing that. Huh. Okay. Does that that's, make sense? It, that's yeah. a really interesting twist that uh, you're the first person that I'm hearing this from. Um, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, it, it, this is, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but it's sort of like the right of information versus you know, getting your information with proper medical context. And so, yeah, I would not have wanted to read my pathology reports by myself without having the expert minds sharing what it really means. Wow, that's interesting, Liz. Okay, well, that's a different subject, but (laughs) okay, all right. Well, I have one more question that... um, you know, because you deal with people on an inpatient basis and you know, I have so much interest in sleep, both personally, professionally, scientifically. It's like a podcast about it here. It's just, it's something I think is fascinating and important. And we know that through no fault of the healthcare professionals, they have to come in throughout the night to test things because it's part of the medical treatment protocol. And I know some hospitals are moving towards no roommates anymore, giving people a single room. I'm wondering if that's happening at your hospital. And, you know, if because of that, patients are finally able to get a little bit more sleep, you know, rest time while they're being hospitalized. Yeah. So we, um, in my time at Northern Duchess, we, um, we had the old building with double rooms and um, and since then we built a new building and now even on the old building and the new building, they're all private rooms. So the, the rooms 
and the new building are big and beautiful. And um, I think it has definitely improved sleep um, for patients. Uh, I know that other hospitals, the new Benedictine are single rooms as is uh, Vassar's. So that's, I think it's just the way to go also from an infection control perspective too. It's the right, right thing to do and privacy, right? So um, yeah, so sleep is an issue in the hospital though, definitely. And um, it would be beneficial to focus on that a bit, you know, like vital signs, we do them probably too often, waking people up and yeah, we are, uh, we're kind of graded by certain things. And one of them is how quiet is it at night? Um, oh. Yeah, so for quality measures, that's one of the measures. So that's probably a move in the right direction. So because, we're lucky. And, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, just the staff can, you know, in the daytime, we're, we're kind of, we're always talking to each other, you know, like it's kind of it could be loud, but at night, um, we need to be mindful to have it be different. It's mm. not the daytime. People yeah. need to sleep. Yeah. I think the single rooms is a huge step. And I, I, I'm always heartened when I go into newer hospitals and I see um, entry areas that are much more inviting and a lot more light and um, just a lot more attention to how everybody, people who work there, people who are coming there as patients, people who are visiting are going to feel, I think that has enormous impact. So that's a great step in the right direction. That's the, that's, that's good. That's really Absolutely. good. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so, and the fact that there are physicians like you who are deeply committed to all aspects of healthcare, you know, being uh, humanized and improved. So I want to thank you so much for being here and sharing your experience. You're welcome. It's great to talk with you and, and to dive deep into this kind of work. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, the pleasure is mine. And I, and I know that the pleasure will be listeners. So um, is there anything you, any information you want to give listeners? You know, I know you don't have a website or, you know, but is there any, I don't know, any resource you want to share with them before we sign out? I think for anybody who's listening who is in healthcare, the Schwartz Center, you can Google the Schwartz Center, um, is a great resource for healthcare workers. And um, it addresses the emotional impact of being a healthcare worker on ourselves. Um, it's really great. You feel like you're in a community of people who think like you. It's it's really good. Um, uh, and I think that that's all I can think of on the top of my head, but I will send you something if I think of something else. Okay, that's great. Well, thank you so much. And who knows, maybe down the road, we'll do a part three. <laughs> awesome, I love it. I'll come back, hopefully showing all the changes that uh, we made <laughs> because oh, of doing, our diligence. <laughs> you're great, you're great. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you.